Go ahead and turn to Matthew 11. My wife was um, talking to me this morning and giving me some feedback because she was here last night and feedback on the sermon. And she said, it started a little academic, a little text heavy, which in other words means it started boring. Right? And she said, <laughs> she said, well, she offered up as a solution. Well, maybe you could be more animated. And I said, well, I'm not really that kind of person. And she said, well, that's not true because at the end you were, you were very animated, which was true. I got animated at the end. And she said, you're animated in philosophical debates. You're animated in arguments with me. And I said, well, that's because you're always wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then she threatened me with violence after that. And, you know, talking about her now too, I realized that a lot of you probably don't know her. Um, her, her name is Megan. She's from the, she's from Vermont, from New England area. And she comes from a large Irish Catholic family. So, so I tease her a lot, but not only can she take it, she dishes, dishes it out pretty hard. Hurts my feelings often. And, and you know, one thing I love about her is that she's, she is a little bit quiet. There, there is that, that tendency about her, but she's also pretty vocal when it comes to something that's passionate about her and she'll say what she thinks and she'll tell anybody. <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter their position. She'll tell them what, what she thinks. And so I love her. Uh, thank her for that feedback. I don't know if I'll fully embrace it, but, but we'll see. We'll see if this first part is boring. So let's jump into Matthew 11, now that I've turned all the women against me. Oh, I forgot about this. Gotta turn it on. All right, so if you turn in your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, we have the slides up here to make it easier. This first section, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what ye hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And there's so much in this, in this passage right here, and there's so much in this chapter, and, and we're going to hopefully make it through the whole chapter because all of it ties together. And all of it builds up into this large crescendo of who we are to be within the Christian life and within our Christian walk of, of where we're supposed to be taken, the next level, the, uh, the level upon level upon level that the Lord takes us on. And so we're going to move through this, but right here at the beginning is a lot of the meat of this, this um, of what the Lord is saying here at this time. And it comes at the, it comes because of a doubt, right? We see this doubt right here with what John the Baptist says. He, he asks this question. He's, he's, John the Baptist is in prison at this moment. And so he sends some of his disciples and said to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look? For another. Now remember that John the Baptist had baptized Jesus. It, it was a few chapters back. It was a little bit back in time. And when, when Jesus came up to John the Baptist to be baptized, John the Baptist said, no, it's not me that should be baptized by you. 
or it's not you that should be baptized by me, but I should be baptized by you. And the Lord said, no, this is the fulfillment of, this is what needs to happen. And so John gives in and he baptizes Jesus. He dips him in the water and when he raises him up, what happens? The spirit comes down like a dove and rests on Jesus. And then what happens? <laughs> the heavens open up and a voice comes down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you can't get pretty, you can't get more straightforward than that, right? Seeing the Spirit of God come down, hearing a voice from the heavens, from the sky at a time like this where they didn't have the technological capacities or even the understanding of what that could be. And so it was, it was an in-your-face moment. It was, it was right there in front of not only John the Baptist, but everyone that witnessed it. And Matthew wrote about it in Matthew 3, that at this moment... The Lord is proclaiming, the Father is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, Jesus who is who he says he was. And he's come to bring the fulfillment of all of the prophets, of what all of them were saying in the past and what all of them were building up to. And yet you get to this moment a few chapters later and some time later where John becomes imprisoned and he's sitting there and he's wondering, Lord, or he's wondering, Father, is, is this guy the real deal? Despite everything that, that he experienced before, despite seeing what he saw, despite the feelings that he had, and remember John the Baptist and Jesus knew each other from the womb. They had first met when they were in, in, in Martha and, or not, in Mary's and, and um, uh, I forget the other lady's name, Elizabeth? Yeah, Elizabeth. When they were in their bellies, right? And, and they, they felt each other and, and, and John the Baptist jumped, right? And, and so they grew up together a little bit. They, they were a part of each other. And so John the Baptist knew Jesus and knew who he was and, and knew what he, he had in him. But yet, doubts still reigned. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? This season, we are celebrating Advent, Right? And what Advent is, is joining in on the symbolism, both in the past and for now, and that we're, we're, we have anticipation, we have a hope, we have a joy, we're waiting for Christ to come. And so Christ has come, but then he's coming back again, right? So we have the kingdom now, but yet not the kingdom in full, but we have a fuller expression of it, and we can, we can walk in that fullness of the kingdom now. And... So at the time of John the Baptist as well, people were waiting for the Messiah to come. The prophets spoke about Jesus for so long. The prophets continued to say, this man, this Messiah is going to come down and he's going to rescue us from oppression. If we move back to uh, Daniel 7, real quickly, wherever that is. Well, we can read a little bit about how the prophets saw Jesus, how the prophets saw the Messiah, and, and what people were expecting. So we, we read in the beginning of Daniel 7 that, that the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head. And he said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So now Daniel right here is in Babylon, Right? Daniel's in Babylon because all of Israel is in exile. All of Israel is under the oppression of a foreign government at this time. And if you remember reading through the history within the Bible that the Israel itself split up from a northern kingdom, which had ten tribes, and a southern kingdom, which had two tribes. 
And in the 700s BC, the Northern Kingdom was sacked by Assyria and wiped away, washed, brought into them, brought into exile there. And then in 500 BC, the Southern Kingdom, the remnant, were, were sacked and brought into Babylon. And so Israel itself as a nation, as a, as a people in one area, ceased to exist at that moment because they were absorbed into these other nations. They were absorbed into oppression. They were absorbed into empires who treated them as slaves. And so we read in the, in the Bible, most of that, or a lot of what the prophets are saying, is that we're, we're stuck under oppression. We have all of these, these, this stuff on us. We have these people enslaving us. We have these people forcing us to do things that we don't want to do. And we're not our own nation. We're not the people of God that God wanted us to be. And Israel fell into this because of their own sin, because of their own consequences that they did in the past through serving idols, through looking to other empires for help. And then those empires came back and stabbed them in the back and, you know, and took them away. And it was because of all those consequences that God gave them over to their sin. And so now Israel is resting under oppression. And for at least 500 years, Israel has to deal with this. And even now, at this time of John the Baptist, Israel is still under oppression because Rome is in power. And even though they put Herod Antipas in charge of, of Israel at that time, it was a puppet government. It was a puppet king. Rome still had control. And, and not only that, but Herod wasn't even the rightful king. He didn't come from the kingly line within Israel as well. So it was an illegitimate king and operating as a puppet for the larger empire. And so they had all of this, this power on them. They had all of this, this, this weight bearing down on them. And, and, and it, it was something that, that's been prophesied for so long. They had been waiting for so long and, and waiting and waiting. And we read here in Daniel 7, if we jump down to verse 9, we get a glimpse of how the prophet saw the Messiah was going to come and save them from this oppression. How the Messiah was going to come and save them from all of these years of hard labor and hard service to these empires. And Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. That's a pretty powerful statement right there, right? It, it, it speaks of this Messiah coming in who's going to take over, and fire is going to come out from before him, and he's going to come in power and going to come in might, and that thousands of thousands will serve him. Daniel continues in 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, who was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." 
So again, more power, right? More might. This, this Messiah is going to come and turn the kingdoms around and place himself up on the throne. Have all of these empires underneath him. And the Israelites that stay true will serve alongside of him and be a part of his kingdom, right? And it's not only in Daniel that, that this imagery is. It's in every single prophetic work that we have here in the Bible. This is what people are looking forward to. This is what people were expecting when the Messiah came. They had an understanding of what the Lord would do. They had an understanding of how the Lord would work. They had their own understanding that, that the Lord was going to come as, as a Messiah and rescue them from the oppression. And it is what happened, but it, isn't, it didn't happen how they thought it would happen. It happened in a totally unique way and in a way that totally subverted the systems of the time. It totally subverted everything that we understood about power, how Christ came in. And took over. And so you have these men who, like John the Baptist, were paving the way, preparing the way for the Messiah. And they get this man who comes and doesn't work like they think he should work. He doesn't work according to the time frame they think he should work. He doesn't do the deeds they think he should be doing. And so... It leads to questions. John himself, you know, stuck in prison, is at this point of needing physical deliverance himself. He's, he's got these external circumstances around him that look pretty bleak. And if you know, if you know what's coming, it is pretty bleak for John. And he, he has this, this pressure on him. And he's saying, when is this Messiah going to actually do the Messiah things? When is this Messiah going to actually step up and, and come with that fire and come with that power and put all of these other people under his feet? When is this Messiah going to put his foot on the, he- on the neck of Herod Antipas? And so he sends this question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Because John was doubting at this time. He couldn't understand what Christ was doing. He couldn't understand how Christ was working. And... What's the Lord's response here? He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. And in that response, you see that the Lord is pushing John to the testimonies. He's pushing John to not focus on what he is, where he's at right now, but to focus on on the, the physical acts that the Lord is doing. He says, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Each one of those statements refers back to the prophet Isaiah. The blind receive their sight is in Isaiah 29. The lame walk is in Isaiah 35. Lepers are cleansed in Isaiah 53. The deaf hear, that's Isaiah 29 again. The dead are raised up, Isaiah 26. And the poor have good news preached to them. That's Isaiah 61. Each one of those things... Is, is the Lord saying, look at these testimonies. These are actual things that I'm doing. These are actual signs. These are actual miracles that are happening because of the power that I have, because of the authority that I have. And not only that, but it, it ties into who the prophets proclaimed, who the prophets prophesied about, what the prophets prophesied that I would do. So God here, Jesus here is, not, is telling John, I'm here and I'm doing things my way. I'm here and doing things the way that's already been planned. And I'm sorry you had a misconception about it, but I am taking, I'm taking charge here. I'm taking authority here. I'm moving through that. You know, 
this this season, like we talked about, is Advent, and we bought our kids the or not we but um, their grandma. They bought our kids these Advent calendars, and they're nothing super spiritual, nothing really religious. They're just these calendars with toys in them, one for each day. And so my son has a medieval one, and then my daughter has a farm set up. They're both Playmobil, if you know what that is. And so every day they wake up, they'll open one of the sections, and they get a, a, a new toy or a piece of a toy, something like that. And I remember at the very beginning, when we first brought them out, the kids were so excited. They, 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 were, they were so passionate. They, they, they were so, had so much anticipation and hope and joy for the next morning. We brought it out on the night before December 1st because it started December 1st, and the kids were just super excited. They couldn't even sleep that night because they wanted to wake up in the morning and go and open number one. And go and get their toy. And, and seeing their excitement and seeing their passion was both inspirational to me and it was also convicting. Because I could see them, how they were so looking forward to the next day because they were going to receive something from it. Right? And then I could think of myself as, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not really looking forward to that day necessarily. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of these other things. I don't have anticipation for the day because I know it's, a, it's full of a lot of to-do's. It's a lot of things that I have to get done in the day. It's a lot of things I have to do for work. It's I have to create, get a doctor's appointment. I have to create a dentist appointment. All this new stuff. And I think about it and I dread it. Because the day to me is just a to-do list. Yeah, for the kids, they wake up and they're super excited for their present. They're super excited to see what the day has brought to them. To see what the day has given to them. And, and so they'd open it up. And, and when I would go downstairs and... And see them in the morning, they because they wake up at five and six sometimes, and so they're up before us, and and they'd open it up and, and they'd they'd have this this new figure, they'd have new armor for it, they'd have a new animal, a sheep or a goat or something, and they'd run up to me and show me with with as much excitement as they had in their bodies. Look what I got! Look what I got! And they had it in their hands, and they'll put it down. And yet me, as I'm stumbling down trying to get breakfast or coffee or something in the morning, and I think, oh, another day. You know, another thing I got to put up with. <laughs> another thing I got to muddle through. And the, the Israelites here were, had, 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 had that dichotomy within themselves as well. Because they, they had on one part, some of them, you know, of course, every so often reading the scriptures and, and hearing the stories of what the prophet said, hear about this Messiah coming who's going to rescue them, who's going to take them away and, and, and bring them out of the pain that they're suffering, bring them out of their external situation where they're at into something better. And so that, that gives them hope until the next day comes around and they get beaten down by the empire that's, that's in charge of them. They get beaten down for what they should be doing. They get reminded that they are not in control, that another... Another principality has control over them. And so they begin doubting. They begin waking up and dreading the day, right? And not looking to the hopes and the promises that the Lord has said within his word. That the Lord has given to Israel for, throughout all of these years, throughout all of these centuries. They never looked, or it was hard for them to look to that because their external circumstances were so rough. And so in their face and, and always there. That they would wake up not with the anticipation and hope and joy, but with the, the struggle of just getting through the day, muddling through it, trying to survive, trying not to get killed this day so I can at least live another day to, what, do more work. 
And so some of them, of course, like John the Baptist before, had fully, fully bought into it and, and, and were actively going out, actively saying, prepare, you know, preparing the way for the Lord and actively saying, the Lord is coming. You need to repent for the kingdom is at hand. And so you have John the Baptist, who is one who, who, who brought this whole, whole movement ahead at this time and prepared it for Jesus. And yet he's still doubting. And Jesus responds, I'm doing what I'm doing. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who's not mad at how I'm doing things. Blessed is the one who's going to let me work according to how I, should, how I think I should work and not try to control me. Well, yeah, John the Baptist wants to control him because he wants Jesus to do what he thinks he should do. And oftentimes our external circumstances, oftentimes where we find ourselves is, is all we can see. We can't see beyond it for whatever reason. It's, it's just right there. And Jesus is always calling us. He's on the other side. He's calling us, look at him, look at him, look at him. But no, I was like, I got work. <laughs> I got school. It's always that thing right in front of us. That, that, that's all we look at. But we, we have struggle looking at what's beyond that. We have struggle looking at Christ who's ready and willing to, for us to focus on him, which would make everything else so much better and so much easier. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, I got this paper to do. <laughs> I got to muddle through it. And we have the option, we have the choice of looking to the good or to the bad of every situation that we find ourselves in. And it's a daily choice that we have to make. It's just because we succeed on one day, the next day may be even harder. And we have to make more of that choice. And speaking about choices, um, it, it became clear to me more recently when I had to go drive up to North Dakota for, um, to, to bury my father. And I know a lot of you um, had heard about it at the time, and a lot of you prayed for me. And it was one of those times where I could fully feel the prayers and, and could fully feel God moving in me. And I can't really explain what exactly that felt like or anything. It was just, it was just a knowing. It was just a knowing that people were praying for me. It was a knowing that God was with me. And through the whole time, even though it was a struggle because of a lot of things, just family dynamics, the Lord was with me and the Lord was seeing me through it. And as we got, when I got there the day of, I drove all night, slept for maybe an hour and then woke up and we had a family meeting because he had passed, my dad had passed away that night that I was driving. So I didn't make it to see him one more time. And so we had the family meeting the next morning going through all of the logistics of what we needed to do. And when it came to looking for a uh, pastor to lead the service. Everyone looked to me and said, well, you're ordained. You, <laughs> will you do it? And I said yes right away. But at the same time, I was, I was terrified because I didn't know, one, I didn't know how to do a funeral. I've never done a funeral before. I've only been ordained for a year. I haven't done much. And then two, I had a lot of problems just in my own relationship with my father. And I wasn't sure how I could get through it. At, at the time, I wasn't sure how I could do the funeral emotionally and be able to to make any sense. And so once that meeting was done, I went outside and got on the phone and I called Alan. And I said, Alan, I need help. That was the, the, the words I said, I need help. And I said, they want me to leave, leave the funeral and I have no idea what to do. And I said, I don't know if I can do it. And Alan talked me down. 
he calmed me down and he gave me some some pointers I watched the first phone call it was more of a okay calm down the Lord's gonna be with you in this we're gonna get through this I'm gonna help you I'm gonna work with you he sent me a uh, an outline of, of how our funeral is run so I modified it for for our funeral and over the course of a few calls you know Alan spoke to me and and continued to to input into my heart and into my mind that the Lord is going to be with you as you do this. You're not going to be doing this alone. The Lord is going to be with you. And so the time of the funeral comes and I still, you know, I have an idea of what I'm going to do, but you know, I'm all shooting from the hip basically of actually having going through it. And so, so, you know, we kind of muddle through it just like anything. And when I'm giving the sermon, I, I start feeling a rush of these emotions. And, and before I was a little bit numb, I guess, to a lot of this. But as I was giving the sermon, I started feeling more and more emotions within me. And, and, and at the beginning, it was a lot of anger. It was a lot of frustration because of sitting there and hearing people talk about my father, who I was estranged from for quite a bit of time, from when I was five to about 25 years old, no contact with him, really. Um, and so I had, I had this animosity there that was kind of building up. And it's something that God's worked in me over the years, too, you know, through a lot of inner healing stuff. But it's one thing that always kind of comes back. It's, it's something the enemy knows that he can, you know, it's a little tender spot he can, he can poke at, right? And so it was building up in me again. And as I was preaching, I was, I was starting to feel this. And as I was hearing people share stories about my father, about how, how welcoming he was, which he was. He was very welcoming. He was this larger-than-life figure. He, he was somebody who invited everybody into his family. And then I felt like an outcast because I felt like I was different than that. Like not, not even invited into the family until these later years. And, and it was one of my sisters, Faith, the one that's just a little bit older than me. She called me back into the family. She came and chased after me and said, come back in. I know it's tough because they kind of went through something similar. And she said, I know it's tough, but come back. And so I came back. And that's why I was a part of the family for the last few, last several years. And, and got to know my dad, but at the same time, it was still a little bit weird, right? It wasn't a full father-son relationship, but it was growing into something. It was growing into a relationship, and I would call him, and I would speak to him on the phone and, and share some things with him, and he would often point me to, he was a Christian, so he would say, well, have you prayed about it? And he would often point me to prayer. He would often point me to, to seeking the Lord's face for things, problems that I was having. But yet, at this time, I couldn't focus on that. I was focusing on hearing these other guys come up and say, he brought me into the family and he called me son. And I'm thinking, well, I was, you know, where was I? Where was I in this equation? But yet seeing the goodness of, of, of who my father was, I said that, like I said, he was, he was larger than life. And he was one who, he was a patriarch of the family. We have a large family and he kept everybody together. His strength and his persona, and, and he wasn't necessarily a large man. He wasn't bigger than me. He was this tall or something like that. Um, so he, was, he wasn't physically imposing or physically um, demanding, but the, the authority that he carried held everyone together. And so I gave this sermon about how we're going to have to fight to, to stay together as a family because we don't have this. And I pointed people to Jesus to be the center of, of what we were doing as a family, how we were living as a family. And as I was doing this, you know, anger, frustration, rising up, rising up. And then at the end of the sermon, my dad was in a casket off to the side. And as I turned to the casket and I started thanking him for what he had done. And it was, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. I hadn't really planned it. 
is that thank you, Dad, for keeping us together. Thank you, Dad, for loving us and showing us who Christ was in our lives because he would do that for all of the siblings. All of my siblings, you know, we're all native on that side. And, and my dad was traditional in some sense, but he was, he, 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 ever since he, he was in California, he used to be a cop in California and had joined a um, joined part with the Teen Challenge Ministry there, became a Christian and, and, and kept it from, from there on up. And so he's always pushed us to it. And so we had some traditional people in there too who were kind of just, you know, looking at me a little funny as, as I was preaching. Because, you know, I was speaking normally. I was speaking like I normally would. And those traditional guys don't like Christianity too much. But as I was thinking, my father, I had this realization that all of this anger and stuff that's, that's in me isn't, isn't, isn't a part of me. It's something that's, that's trying to be built up, something that's trying to come on me, um, just to, to, to then become a part of me, to then change me into somebody that I'm not. And that I really had a lot of admiration for this guy. I really had a lot of, of um, love for my father and really learned a lot from my father as well. And so as I was thanking him and, and as I was talking to him, my last time, you know, seeing him and talking to him, he was, he was in the casket, I realized I want to be like that guy. I want to be like my father. And that didn't mean that I wanted to, you know, I wanted all the bad stuff, right? A, a lot of that bad stuff really messed me up w when I was younger and, and even kept me from wanting to get married. It kept me from wanting to have a family because I didn't want to have a family to just, to just leave it. And I didn't think I could. But yet God transformed that in my mind. God transformed me and, and changed my thinking on that, on marriage itself. And... And so my choice at this moment, and, and my choice throughout my, my whole adult life that, that the Lord's been speaking into me about these, these father issues, is that you have a choice to make. You can choose to look at the good and look at what I've been doing, how I've restored this relationship, how I've brought reconciliation. Or you have a choice to look at all the bad stuff that I haven't been doing and, and rest in that and, 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 be, and strive and become burdened and become heavy laden with that. One has peace at, at its as, at its core the other has strife at its core and so I had this choice and so over the years it's been it's been a continual choice I've been making okay look to the good look to the good but it, it's it takes discipline as well it's not something that just automatically happens every single day sometimes I'll feel it there was one time a while ago I was driving to work and then all of a sudden I felt this this anger of well, my dad takes care of everybody else, but he doesn't do anything for me. And, and it, it, just, it just came on me. I was driving. I remember I was doing a balloon fiesta. All the balloons were in the air. I listened to music. I, had, had, I wasn't angry that morning. I was just driving, and then all of a sudden it hit. And then at that same moment, I thought, no, I'm not going to dig into this. I'm not going to let this sit. So I started praying. I started giving it to the Lord. I started talking to the Lord about it. And then it went away. And then that whole day, I was, I was walking in the goodness of the Lord. I was walking in the peace of the Lord because I directly made it a point to look to what the, the, what the Father was doing and not what the enemy was saying. Right? And so, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is saying, look to me. Look to what I am doing. Look to where I am taking you. Look to all of the things that I have for you. Look to everything that is within you with that I have placed there so that you can take a step out in my the identity that I've given to you, the strength I've given to you, the foundation that I have for you.
change it. Did it turn on? The battery died. All right. Well, you have your Bibles, so. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll move through the next couple sections a little bit quickly because I'm running out of time. Time management has never been my strong suit. And so we're seeing that here. Um, but Jesus, when he, when he responded to John the Baptist, he said, look to the testimonies, look to the things I've done. And not only that I'm doing them now, but they're, they're what the prophets foretold. And then he goes on in this next section to say, who did you go out to see? Who's this man that, that you were going out talking about John the Baptist? And he begins complimenting them. He says, he's not somebody who's wearing soft clothing. He says, those guys are kings. Those guys in, are in kingly places. But rather, you went out to see a man who, who was um, wearing, what was it, sackcloth? <laughs> what was it? Camel's hair, yeah. Camel's hair, which wasn't, isn't comfortable and definitely isn't kingly, right? And so he, he says, you went out to see a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi 3.1. That's, that's from another prophet, the prophet that, that we have in our Bible right before Matthew begins. This, this prophet that, that's preparing the way and then speaking of this other prophet that's going to prepare the way. And so Jesus tells everybody that John himself is a prophet. And he's, he's, he's the, he continues to say, um, there's no, been no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There's no one going to be greater than John the Baptist because John the Baptist is the one that's finally ushering in the Messiah. He's ushering in this fulfillment that's here for them. But yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist because those who come after him are going to are, have, the, have, this, have Christ. We have this Bible that tells us of who Christ is. And we have this Bible that reveals who Christ is to us. That he is the fulfillment, he is the fullness of, of what the Israelites have been searching for and that all of humanity needs. Because it's just not, a, just not something for the Israelites, it's something for all of humanity. God came for all of humanity. And so because Jesus is here in fullness, we can see him. But yet we're still waiting, right? The kingdom is here, but not yet. We're waiting. But yet we can still walk in it today. That's why we go after healings. That's why we go after the prophetic so we go after the things of God because we can experience that today, even though the kingdom hasn't fully come down yet. And then Jesus in this next session, section kind of um, uh, switches it around a little bit. So he goes from those accepting him to those who are denying him. And he says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. People were proclaiming that Jesus was a false prophet. People were proclaiming that Jesus came and is a part of the enemy, a part of Beelzebub, a part of that whole kingdom of darkness because he, of the works he was doing. No matter what Christ did, some people accepted him and some people rejected him. He goes on to say, he began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago on sackcloth and ashes. 
says where most of his mighty works had been done. He did a lot of works in Curzon and Bethsaida, but yet they didn't accept him. Can you imagine that? You know, we often think as, as Christians today, oh, if we just had this gift of healing, if we had this gift to, to really dig into the minds, dig into the heart of Jesus for somebody and, and, and be able to tell their story to them in the prophetic, if we were able to raise the dead, you know, all, everyone would be coming to Jesus. Everyone would be coming to Jesus. But then Jesus didn't have that same, didn't have that happen. He did all of that. People saw him raise Lazarus from the dead and said, I don't know about that guy. It's kind of weird. I don't know if I can trust him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So this is a call not to, it's a call to us not to be, not to strive for these, these, these greater things, but to simply rest in the Lord and rest in what the Lord is doing. It's a call for us not to think that we can create something better than what Jesus has set out for us. It's a call that we need to find out what Jesus is doing and align ourselves with him rather than start doing something and think that he's going to come along and help us along. Right? And so the same thing that in reverse here is those who see all of these works, those who see the fullness of God working, the fullness of, of the Messiah himself are going to have a larger consequence for rejecting him. In the same way that those are greater than he will have a better response when coming to him. And, you know, in speaking about the Advent calendars, I already start to see how my children are becoming a little bit complacent, a little bit comfortable. They'll wake up in the mornings and they're not as excited about the Advent calendar as they were 12 days ago. We're about halfway through the whole thing. They'll wake up, they'll start doing their things, you know, doing whatever, drawing, playing Switch. And then a couple hours later, four hours later, oh, the Advent calendar. <laughs> what's, what's in there, I wonder? And then they'll wander up and then they get excited because they get a new toy. And they come show us again, all that kind of stuff. But it's complacency that's really killing that joy. It's comfort that's killing that joy. They're waiting for Christmas Day to come. And, and that's still the big thing in front of them. Right? It's still what's there. It's, it's still the thing that they're focused on. I can't wait till Christmas. My son has a countdown in his head. It's this many days until Christmas. And they're waiting for that final payoff. And then what they had in front of them, this Advent calendar, which is still giving them presents, but not as big as what Christmas is going to give them, they've gotten bored with it. They've gotten tired of it a little bit. And it gives them some joy here and there when they, when they do open it up. But they, they kind of start forgetting about it. And similarly with us, you know, when we start to walk in the kingdom of God and start to grasp onto what the Lord has for us, we think... All right, Lord, you know, we have so much anticipation and hope and joy when we become new Christians and so much zeal and so much passion. And then after 10 years, kind of dies down a little bit. We start having to struggle through the day. We start having to, you know, we start worrying about work. We start letting that stuff rest heavy on our shoulders. Because of complacency, because of comfort, because we can't see beyond what's just right in front of us. We can't see Christ who's beyond that, who's ready and willing to help us, who's waiting for us. And then, you know, we, 
we oftentimes start thinking, okay, Lord, well, we have those doubts just like John the Baptist did. Are you really doing something in my life? I had this prophetic word five years ago and nothing has happened for it. It's not, where, it's not what you said. Are you still working? Are you still doing something? And we start doubting. Well, maybe, maybe I'm sinning. Maybe I'm in the wrong. You know, we have, we have all these things. And the reality is that our complacency often becomes a form of sin, right? And not fully stepping into what the Lord has for us. We, we, we kind of become like these um, Chorazin and Bethsaida and reject Jesus and what Jesus is doing on a daily basis just because we can't see it. And because we get angry, we get upset, we get frustrated, we're mad. Because Jesus isn't doing what he said he was going to do. But yeah, we see in the Bible that there's, there's a lot of fulfillment there. The Lord always fulfills his promises. And so we're struggling with some things in our lives that are, you know, been going on 20 years, 10 years, 5 years. The Israelites struggled with looking for the Messiah for 500 years at least, if not 700 years. But yet was, was God not working during all that time? God was still working. God was still moving, but they, they struggled to see how God was working when they were under so much bondage, so much oppression. And for us today, you know, just like the Advent calendars, we wake up in the mornings and we pray, God, I need something from you. I need something from you. And then God will give us some armor. I need something from you. God will give us a weapon. I need something from you. And God will give us something to take care of, some responsibility to have. And we look at it and we say, well, it's not, it's not Christmas Day. It's not what you told me about. And then we kind of we, we reject it. We throw it away. But yet, how do we change our mindsets? How do we reframe our minds into becoming ones who are like children again? Like Christ always said, you know, blessed are the children. You, you know, you have to become like children again. How do we have that excitement build up in us, that anticipation build up in us, that every single day we wake up and we, we get that armor and we say, yes, Lord, thank you. I'm putting this on and it's going to protect me. It's going to keep me from the enemy. We get this sword and we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go forward. I'm going to take some ground. I'm going to conquer some things today. Or we get something to take care of. And we say, yes, Lord, what you have given me as a responsibility, I'm going to see through. And I don't know how this relates to, to what you told me. But I'm going to see this through. And how do we have that anticipation? How do we maintain that joy, maintain that hope that God is working in us today, leading us to something down the road? Because God's always leading us to something. He's always bringing us to some, to some point that he wants to, lead, to bring us to. And then there's something after that, right? It's like those, when you're hiking, you're up the mountain, and you have those, what are they called, false peaks or whatever? False summits. You get to one summit, and you think that's the end, and then there's another one, right? Well, for us, it's nothing that we have to strive against because it's, it, we get to that top of the one summit and say, oh, look, there's more. There's more for me to have. There's more that God wants to give me. There's more that the Lord wants to bless me with. And we start going again. And we start walking with anticipation of hope again to that top of that summit and seeing what the Lord has for us. Reaching that Christmas day and seeing what, what the Lord's going to give to us as we pour out to others. And we get to that and then there's another one. And we say, we don't, we don't complain. We say, oh, look, there's more. There's more. In, with this, un, this vast God, this unlimited God, there's always more. And every single day is a step into 
newness. It's a step into a new creation. It's a step into what God is calling us to. And it may not look like the final end product. It may not look how we think it should look. God may not be working how we want him to work, but he is working. And his way is the best way. Because if, if we were in charge, I'm sure we'd screw things up quite a bit. We'd make a lot of mistakes. And is the Lord going to make a mistake? No. The Lord knows where he's taking us. And so in this chapter, this thing came back on, I think. Yeah. So Jesus ends this with a calling to him. And, this is, and just today too, you know, today as the day that he spoke this, it's the same thing. It's what the Lord wants. He says, I thank you, Father. Oh, as we do this too, let's get ready for communion. So if you don't have communion, raise your hand and Jared will come around and bring communion cups to you. But Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord is calling each one of you to rest in him. The Lord is calling each one of you to become like little children again with that hope and anticipation and excitement of what he's going to do the next day, the next morning. The Lord is calling each one of us to become more and more like Christ. More and more like him. And so as we observe communion, and as we take this bread and as we see, as we see how, what it symbolizes, how it symbolizes the body of Christ, the body that he has given over for us. Remember, he was betrayed on the night that he gave communion and betrayed by Judas, a man who probably thought something along the lines of John, that Jesus isn't moving the way I thought he should move, and so I'm going to help him along. He's not, he's not bringing this fire. He's not turning this kingdom upside down. So I'm just going to kind of force it here and, and get, you know, give him over to the authorities. And then once he sees what happens, he says, says, I've given an innocent man and I'm sorry. And then he receives his own consequence for giving up Jesus at the time. But we cannot become like Judas. We cannot become this doubter who thinks that the Lord isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. We need to be who we are in him. We need to look to what the Lord is doing and say, Lord, all right, I don't understand it. It's kind of weird, but I'm going to go with that. And so as we have this bread and as we think of everything that the Lord gave up for us, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that you gave. Thank you, Jesus, for how you came and disrupted the powers, how you came and brought us peace and how you rescued us from oppression.
Jesus grabs a cup and said, this is the blood of my covenant. As we drink this, we remind ourselves that we are of him. We are grafted in with him through his blood into the family of God. We are no longer slaves. We're no longer these outcasts. We're children of God. So drink in remembrance of him. So I'll finish with this by refocusing ourselves on this statement up here, on this statement in your Bible. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We often like to strive. We often like to think, okay, if I get more money, I can have all of these things to make me happy. And so you strive at work. You strive for that more money. And it becomes more labor on you. It becomes heavy on you. In ministry, it happens all the time as well. People strive for the bigger and greater things. I want a bigger building. I want more people. I want this and I want that. And it becomes a burden. And they burn out. And they have moral failures. Things happen because their focus isn't on Jesus. It's on themselves and it's on what they can do. They're striving to be who who they're not. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'm pretty sure that's a lot of us. I'm pretty sure it's myself as well. And I will give you rest. And what the Lord says he's going to do, he will do. The Lord will give you rest. The Lord will give you peace. He continues, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke, as you'll remember, is um, you know to keep two oxen together, to keep them going down the same path, this wooden thing. And so he says, attach yourself to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Attach yourself to me and let me lead. Where I go, you go. Not where you go, I go, but where I go, you go. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We often get scared of, of, of what the Lord wants from us. We often get scared of giving ourselves fully over to Jesus because we're afraid that he might take us somewhere weird or make us do something uncomfortable. And the reality is that Jesus will make us do something uncomfortable. The reality is that sometimes Jesus will take us somewhere that's crazy. Somewhere that we're scared to go. But when he's leading us, when he has us, when he's taking us there, that's the place where we need to be. We need to be with Jesus, yoked to him, and not trying to do our own thing. And so for myself, you know, I've, I've had so much of a struggle, especially with public speaking and being in front of people. I don't like being in front of people. I don't like people focusing on me. I don't like all of this stuff. But yeah, it's where Jesus has brought me. Jesus said, I don't care about that. I have something planned for you that's greater than what you're thinking. And so step into this. I used to be a part of Youth with a Mission. And we used to have to do skits. We used to have to do dances in front of people. And that was the most embarrassing thing I was ever a part of. But yet I did it because I knew that God had something greater for me. And, and, and in saying this, I, I'm not making the claim that I, I always respond immediately when God's, God says, do this. I'm very stubborn. 
And I'll say, I don't know about that. I'll say, why? <laughs> I say, I don't want to do that. And I'll fight the Lord, I'll fight the Lord. But so far, I've given in at eventually. And I was like, Jonah, who eventually gave in because a whale swallowed him. It's like I eventually give in because it becomes too much to disregard. And so the same thing for you. Come to Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who have these burdens on them, all who have these fears on them, all who are afraid of fully giving themselves over to Jesus. And the Lord will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll no longer strive, for the Lord's yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's stand. Let's praise the Lord. Let's, let's just open up our hearts and our minds and give everything that we have to him, because he gave everything he had for us. He gave his whole body for us. He died on the cross. He gave his life. He suffered for us. And we hang back and say, I don't know, I can't do that, Lord. I'm sorry you died on the cross and did all that suffering, but this is, this is too much to ask for what you're asking me to do. Lord, transform our minds and transform our hearts. Make us into a new creation. We need to become more like you and we need to get rid of all this junk and all this fear that we have resting on us. We need to get rid of everything that the enemy is trying to throw on, throw on us. And we need to step into the fullness of who you are. We need to step into the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your mercy, the fullness of your peace and the fullness of your joy. Lord, give us anticipation again. Give us hope and give us joy that we rest in you and we find our peace in you and in nothing else. In Jesus' name. And as we sing this song, worship Jesus. Give it all. Give, give it everything you have to the man who gave everything for you.